So this morning we're going to look at honesty is the best policy. I think it might say honesty pays in one or two, of them, but I think that's why I changed the title to that. Because it's not about honesty paying, it's about it always being the best policy, which, to be honest, honesty doesn't always feel the best policy. Um, there are many things that in life seem pragmatically wise that aren't always honest. But we're looking at God's wisdom, and God's wisdom is different from ours. And honesty is definitely the best policy. Let's just remind ourselves about Proverbs. Proverbs is a very practical book. It's practical theology. It's about how we apply our faith following God in the ordinary circumstances of our lives. It's learning from experience what it is to be a Christian, to be a God follower. It's not just theory. It's not just head knowledge. God's never been just interested in head knowledge. Proverbs really hammers that home. 24-7, if we're a follower of Jesus, it affects our lives. And Proverbs is clear. God is only interested in faith that works out practically in daily life. God is not impressed with Sunday-only faith, with, uh, with just head knowledge and not practical living. Now, most of Proverbs, the bulk of it, consists of wise sayings or little cameo sort of moments in life that illustrate some of the wisdom. We're going to look at one that's a bit like that this morning. And, and they just take one aspect, but it summarizes the whole thing. And it gives you an insight into what God thinks about that issue and that area of life, but also applying it to your lives and my life and helping us to think it through. Now, quite often, these Proverbs don't seem to be in any particular order, and that's probably true where we're going now, uh, around chapter 11 and right, a whole stack of chapters there in the middle. Um, some of it follows a more logical process. We've looked at some of the earlier chapters, but it seems like a random collection, and people obviously have various theories about that, but I actually believe the Holy Spirit wants it like that. Because I think life can be the way the Proverbs come up. That first of all, you've got a challenge about work, which is where we're going to be today. But actually, the next verse could be about friendship. Or it could be about, uh, 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 you know, uh, being a good uh, son or, or daughter or whatever. It, and it, it, life is like that. Life doesn't come in neatly packaged uh, sections, subjects and boxes. I mean, we all like to say, why don't we get all the Proverbs on, you know, business altogether? And all the Proverbs on family altogether. That'd be so much tidier. But that's not, A, probably how the, the Eastern mind worked behind the writing of this. But, but actually, I believe the Holy Spirit would say it's not how life works. Uh, life is much more, uh, if you like, different aspects all coming at once. And this book is about life. And we're going to pick up one verse. And basically, that's the text we're going to work around this morning. That's Proverbs 11 and verse 1. It'll go up on your screen. And it says this. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. <laughs> All right? The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. That looks pretty trivial. It looks a pretty mundane thing for God to be telling us about, that he detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find his favor and his grace. But actually, there's several Proverbs that touch this subject. Again, they're scattered around. So here's one, Proverbs 16, 11. Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. God owns them. God is behind them. All the weights in the bag are of his making. God made weight. God 
is in charge of the principles of commerce, and he supports honesty in it. Here's Proverbs 20, verse 23. The Lord detests differing weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. Now, you think, God, God's got a thing about scales. You bet he has. It's not the only place where, if you go to the law, Leviticus, we get a very clear uh, denunciation. Look at this. Leviticus 19, 35, 36. It'll go up on the screen. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, and quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. God gets right in their face. Don't you dare use dishonest scales. Use an honest ephah, etc. And then in the prophets, you get, I could, I've chosen one from a dozen, but the, the, the prophets are often challenging God's people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit not to do the same sort of thing, dishonest scales. So here's one, just example, Micah 6. God speaking. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house, and the short ephah, which is accursed, Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales with a bag of false weights? That is a strong denunciation from God through the prophet to the people. And it is strong language. The language is God detests these things, abhors, hates these things. It's exactly the same Hebrew word as used about God's views on executing the innocent murdering children, worshipping idols, and a whole stack of other things. But not everything is given this uh, word. God detests. God hates it. Not everything. God denounces certain sins in different ways, but this one he really is angry about. And it's clear it's in the same category, I say, about executing the innocent, murdering children, worshipping idols. So this is behaviour that God sees as very serious, a very serious sin. So we're just going to look at three simple questions. I'm going to talk it through with you and try and apply it to our lives. So let's ask the first one. What exactly is God so angry about? Why has he got a thing about dishonest scales? What exactly is he angry about? Well, let's remind ourselves or even inform ourselves what the context is for a moment. Obviously, we don't quite live in the same culture as the Bible, we read any of the Bible. I mean, some of it was written 2,000 years ago, New Testament. Some of it like this is more like 3,000 years ago or so. And it's at a different place, the Middle East. So the culture is very different. And yet, we can quite quickly understand what it's about. This is about buying and selling things. It's about commerce. It's about business. And much of it was done, as it probably still broadly is today, by weighing things. You weighed things. And this is about getting what you paid for. It's about getting a fair deal in business. Now, in those days, merchants notoriously had different weights in their bag. They would, when they were buying something or selling something, they would use a primitive form of scales. We all know what scales are. I hope, you know, just a balance beam, you put a weight, a, a, a far or a hin or whatever it is on one end, and you balance out the goods you are buying or selling, notice that, on the other end. And it was so common as to almost be universal that merchants had different weights of scales. So if I'm buying from you, buying your wheat, I put a nice heavy weight on, so I get more weight. I, I, you think you're selling me an ephah, but you're selling me a bit more than an ephah. 
Is that the wrong way around? I'm bound to get this the wrong way around. I'm slightly dyslexic when it comes to numbers. <laughs> have I got it the wrong way around? Tony, help me out. It doesn't matter, does it? Basically, you, you have the weight that makes sure that when you buy it, you get more than you've paid for. And then you have the opposite weight. Is that going to be a light one? That's right, yeah. That's fine. Thank you, Richard. Help me. Help All you buffs are good at computers and maths. Help me, help me. Right, so that's good. So when you're selling it to someone, some poor little housewife, you put a lightweight on. So, have a lightweight. Lightweight. Good. I'm glad you're all involved. Get with it. Get with it. Now, what's happening is that when I buy from Richard, because you're, you're, you're on the money on this one, when I buy from Richard, I want to get more from Richard than I should get. So Richard thinks he sold me an EFAR, but I've, he sold me an EFAR plus. But when I sell to Ange, who's poor little Ange, just doesn't know anything about it, just wants to buy some wheat, and she pays me for an EFAR, I, I put a lightweight on, she gets less than an EFAR back. And as I carry on like that, I make a lot of money. You don't have to do very much alteration to your weights to do quite well because you, you win-win both ways. And so this was a very common thing done. And in actual fact, everyone was doing it. Have you heard that? Everyone does it. And in fact, in the world of commerce and business, you would be a naive person not to do it. What do you mean? We all do it. That's how you make your money. That's how you're successful. So it really was a universal attitude. Probably most people understood it went on, but if you were in the business world, you all knew that's what everybody did. Now, one or two tried to put things right. King David did because he was a godly man, and he tried to have the king's standard on these things. What we tend to have nowadays, do you know, what we all got to realize, these things, a lot of them have got Christian roots, just to have orderly standards that everybody, when it's an ephah, it's an ephah everywhere, okay? So David really worked to have the king's standard. You can sometimes find little references to it tucked away in Samuel or whatever. The phrase the king's standard means it was one to be imposed on everybody. But it only worked when a really godly king really got behind it, which wasn't very often. By and large, it soon went back, it soon regressed to this situation here. So Proverbs is all about honesty in business and commerce and in our working life. And what it says, and this is strong, is that God detests conning people. God detests ripping people off. God detests short measures, fiddling the money, lying to the customer, providing a poor service, withholding payment as long as you possibly can to make your own profit, keeping prices artificially high. God hates it. It's as strong as that. God hates it. We've got to think about that in a moment. On the other hand, God loves it. He favours honesty in business. It's not a neutral position. It's not just God's angry and he's really grumpy about that, but he just sort of, well, stays in icy silence when you do the right thing. Says, well, you should do anyway. No, no, God actually favours. He, he says, that's my kingdom. That my, they belong to me. I love it when you get honest with me. And fundamentally, I will bless honesty in business. There has to be a faith angle there sometimes. I remember a guy in Hastings getting saved who was a, a, a double-glazing businessman. He wasn't just a salesman. He owned the company. And he was tussling 
with this. He was a good guy. He really came from a total non-Christian background and he was saved and he said, look, you know, we're always saying things are offers that aren't offers. We're always doing it. He said, all the time you're playing with figures. You're saying something that sounds a lot better than it is. He said, it's how I live. And we would talk about it. And, you know, and he, and he actually said, this is the biggest challenge in my life. This ordinary worldly guy liked his drink, liked other things. But this was the big challenge as he tried to tussle with being a Christian. How am I going to be a Christian double-glazing businessman? How can I be totally authentic in what I say and do and survive in my market? It's interesting. I mean, I think he endeavored to do it. I think he always struggled with it. But... Uh, but I, I, I tell you, this is real. It's not just about weights and measures. But, sorry, I've lost the train of thought. But what you need, I needed to say to that, that a person like that, and I did say to him, I said, look, I honestly believe God will bless you when you're honest. And I mean it. I do. The Bible means it. God favors. What does it say? He favors those with accurate weights. They find favor with God, the first verse we looked at. You've got to believe there is a grace, there is a blessing that God loves it. And God says, yeah, I want you to be honest. Now, there will be a tough bit, especially if you've got a lifelong habit and you think, this is how I make my margins. But actually, God says, no, try me out, test me. like he does. Yeah. Be honest and see if I won't favor you and bless you. So there's a a, 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 a positive side as well. Let's look at our second question, which is sort of tied in. Why is this so important to God? So we've sort of, what is God angry about? Well, it's this lying and conning and ripping people off and, and, and unfair business practices. But why is it so important to God? There are a number of reasons. I just want to rattle through them relatively quickly, but I want you to get that this is quite a deep and important thing. First thing is God is always interested in our whole lives. And so this is aimed at his people, and we are his people if we follow Jesus. And he expects us to demonstrate by our lives what we believe. So God doesn't like his people being inconsistent. So this is what literally was happening to Israel. So they're in the temple, they're doing all the nice stuff there, but actually following, worshiping God, as soon as they're in their business world, they're like everybody else, just telling lies and trying to make a fast buck. And God says, I hate that inconsistency. I want you 24-7 to reflect my righteousness, my truth, and my love for people. And it is a common mistake, not only in Old Testament Israel, where you'll see it all over the place, but in the church, and in the church today, a common mistake to think that God is only interested in what we do on Sunday or church buildings and what we do in those buildings. That the big deal is getting the building right and doing the right thing in the building. I'm not going beyond all denominations here. That is not what God gets excited about. God gets excited when his people live 24-7 different from the world, when they are something different, when they are lights, when they're salt out there in the world. That's what excites him. In fact, in our covenant, the new covenant, he's not at all bothered by buildings, really, or rituals. You'll struggle hard to find really any detailed stuff at all in the New Testament. That's fine. They're not wrong. We can use them. But we need to keep them right in their place because in the end... We can do all the things right in here and not be right out there, and God hates it. And that is the first major point, but there's several others. God wants, it's sort of linked, God wants the world to know what he's like through his people. And so when we appear to show 
that God is a hypocrite or is a twister or cons people. God says, that's my name you're bringing into disrepute. So people say, well, you're a Christian. Yeah, but I do the same as you. Or I do worse than you even, because sometimes people in the world have higher standards than some Christians. That is an affront to God. Because you're bringing my name into disrepute. So God sees himself as very involved in this. This reflects on him. We are the only Bible most people will read. So it's very important that they get the idea that God is straight and true and righteous and just and loving through us, because that's their main channel to start with anyway. Let's move on to another thing. We're thinking, why is this so important to God? I think this is a very fundamental one about us. The first couple of points I made were about God, but it's about us as human beings. Dishonesty and cheating, done regularly and in a calculated way, will be destructive to your personality. Will be destructive to your personality. I do not understate it. It will do you damage. You see, this sort of issue is not accidental. It's not uh, in the heat of the moment. This is calculated. You actually choose to have two different sorts of weights. You know that you are un- giving this poor uh, you know, woman who's come to buy for her family, you know that you are giving her less than she should have. You know what you're doing. You know this poor farmer, you are taking more from him than you should. You are calculating to do it. You have thought it through. You think it's fine that you actually, in effect, take from his pocket and take from her pocket. And that is a destructive on your personality. That is undermining something in you. You think it's okay to lie. You think it's okay to take stuff from people. And people today have all sorts of ways they try and rationalise it. It's okay to take from a company. It's okay to take from the government. It's okay, you know... But somebody pays somewhere... For every tax fiddle, for everything shoplifted or from everything taken from work. And, 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 and actually, that is not okay in God's eyes. Apart from God sees it and God says it's inconsistent, that is not okay to you. It's doing something to you. It's an area that's hard to detect. It's an area where you can make calculated choices and probably 99% of the time get away with it. So the, the, there is a sense in which you can get quite into the habit of doing it. Uh, and it therefore undermines something in you. It also feeds nicely to a legalistic mind. Legalists are only interested in appearances. So as long as they, they appear to do the right thing, and as long as they get away with it, legalists are happy. That is legalism. God is not interested in legalism, but legalism operates that way, operates that way in church and in life, that I, I obey the rules, I appear to be okay, that's what matters. That is not what God likes. So it undermines something in us. It taints and distorts our very being. It maybe numbs our conscience. We become untrusting and untrustworthy. Without hardly thinking about it, we become cynical and untrustworthy because that's how we operate and that's how we assume everybody else operates. It's a sort of poison in the end that poisons your own spirit. God sees it as a serious problem. That's why he challenges it. It also has serious social and community impact. Beyond the individual damage, dishonesty in trade and business can undermine, and I do not exaggerate it, can undermine the very fabric of society. If you go to a country where there is 
widespread corruption, which is most countries almost in the world, be honest for you, but somewhere it's very deeply in, somewhere like India or Pakistan, you will see it is massively undermining of all sorts of aspects of normal life, even physically dangerous. You get buildings that collapse because people have bit lied. They've lied about what they put in the building, they've underdone the concrete, they've, they've cut corners in serious ways, and people die because of corruption, because people are using dishonest scales. People die. We think, oh yes, tut-tut India and Pakistan. Yeah, what about tut-tut 2007 and our financial crisis? What about our financial services? with the way they've ripped people off with their pensions, ripped people off with uh, insurance. What about the whole stinking mess that came out in 2000, 2008? Actually, it's probably also led to people dying, people with stressful illnesses, people being suicidal because they were sold something they thought they had got and they hadn't got it. It is a very, very serious thing. It destroys the individual. It ultimately has a destructive impact on society. And one other thing that God makes a big deal of, which is quite interesting, he sees this stuff as unjust. It is a big injustice. A big injustice? Yeah, it is. We haven't got time to look at it, but in Ezekiel and Amos and Micah and some of the other places in the prophets, God links this a lot to injustice. False weights and false measures are intolerable injustice. Why? Because they rob the innocent, they rob the naive and the uninitiated, they, generally speaking, rob the poor, the ordinary, and the powerless. What the banks did, whatever they, and I'm not in banks alone, what the, the general uh, financial services were doing, uh, you know, selling people mortgages, it was generally poor people that were be given mortgages way beyond what they could pay. I can't remember the correct term for it. It was going on in 2007 and Six. You know, people were being sold ridiculous, allowed to borrow ridiculous amounts that the banks knew they couldn't repay, but it didn't matter because the property prices are going up. So when these people's lives collapse, we'll get their property and that'll be fine. That's exactly this sort of thing. It's an injustice. It's unjust. You're exploiting people's naivety and their ordinariness and their lack of understanding. And often, people have no choice. So people have got to buy the grain, so where else do they go? Everybody's got dishonest scales, so they, it's unfair, it's unjust. And actually God hates it. God hates accepting bribes, and he hates this uh, conning people. Now, modern life throws this up. I mean, it's not hard to think of examples that are very similar to this. I've given the financial services a bit of a hard time, but what about the energy companies? You know, you know, you don't feel you've got a lot of choice for all the blather. If you're like me, it's a blooming struggle to change a supplier. I think it's a nonsense. I did it once and I regretted it. Went on for months trying to sort it out. You think, yeah, some free market. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm half decent when it comes. I do at least have an iPad. So what on earth... <laughs> What on earth it's like for older people who don't, can't, you know, who may be not savvy with internet. I mean, it's just a nonsense. And, 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 you know, the money people who can't afford it and have to put it in the meters, that's a higher rate. You, I, I, can, I can pay by standing order, direct debit. I can do that. I can do it online, believe it or not. I do do it online. Uh, <laughs> and, and all of these wonderful things save me money. Poor souls that can't do that are paying quite a significant rate higher. Oh, it's all very justified, is it? Doesn't sound very fair to me. Uh, and I think 
there's an injustice about it all. And it's an injustice. The oil prices go up. Wow, next day you're paying another 10p on your jolly petrol. You think, well, that's not the petrol you bought. It only went up last night, the oil price. And then it goes down. It takes about six months to drop it 2p. That's the sort of thing we're talking about. That's the sort of thing God finds annoying, and so do I, actually. <laughs> God, 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 you might have noticed. Um, and what about the big supermarkets who really do screw the, the, the small supplier for their money often? All of this sort of thing is unrighteous. It's not the way God wants to see business done. But actually, I'm shying at good targets there. We're all going to agree and nod. In our last section, we need to think, how does this apply to us, to me, as a Christian? What does it mean for me? How should Christians behave? And that's where we're going to settle in the last sort of 10 minutes or so. Okay, I mean, everything I said is right, but what are, what are we going to do about it? Well, I think we can talk about it. I think we can talk about the truths in God's, God's Word. I think I probably told you this before, but once when I was in Hastings for a few years, I used to write a short um, column in the local paper, Hastings Observer, uh, I used to write a thing called the God Spot. And what I found I used was the Proverbs a lot. Uh, so I'd take a proverb and just write a bit about God's stand. And actually, I think people connect with that. They say, oh, that makes sense. God's ways do make sense. Yeah, they do, believe it or not. He knows what he's talking about. And so there is a sense in which when we talk about these things, thought through, they do make sense. That, that corruption and fiddling people might seem fine for an individual, but it's actually poisoning you and it's doing widespread damage. It's actually unjust. It's exploiting people's vulnerabilities and weaknesses, often the poorer people. But let's talk about ourselves as a Christian. Let's start with a verse from the New Testament. If we could put that up. Ephesians 5 says this, verses 8 and 10. To Christians, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So that is now how we are to live as Christians. So we could just leave that up for a moment. Let me just briefly talk about it. What does it mean to be a Christian? Now, most of you, the majority of you in this room will know, but perhaps not everybody, and we all need to be reminded. To be a Christian means you were once in darkness. You were once dead in your sin. That is exactly how the Bible describes it. Being a Christian is not a a bit of a change of mind, like changing political parties or like just changing a perspective on something. It is a much deeper work than that. You were darkness. You were, as it were, probably incapable of really living the life you'd like to live. Now, I'm not saying you didn't do good things. Everybody does some good things. It's thank God for that. But, but actually, there is a bias to sin in us. There's a bias to selfishness, a bias to greed, a bias to lying, a bias to all those things and the bigger stuff, lust and all the rest of it. And there's a bias to it. And, and, and the gospel says, you're not going to get free of that without something radical happening. You need a new heart, a new spirit. You need to be born again. And here's the good news you can be. Jesus came and died for your sin and your shame and your guilt. He died to remove the root of sin and to give you a new heart and a new spirit. And if you put faith in him, you trust him, you turn from your sin, you can be born again. You can have a new start. The Holy Spirit will change you from the inside out. And you become children of light. Once... You were darkness, now you're children of light. Once you were dead in your sin, now you're alive in Christ. Now it's the beginning of a new life. 
But the fundamental point is we are now to live out of our new identity, who we are in Christ. We don't live out of our history. We live out of who we are. We live out of our future, who we're going to be when we see him face to face in new heavens and new earth. We live as children of light. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's what's happened when you become a Christian. So live as children of light. Live like Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit change you. And some of that will be, some of the fruit of that will be goodness, righteousness, and truth. Live it out. Let it come through. Live what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. At business, think, what's going to please Jesus? I mean, you can't, I can't give you rules. Proverbs doesn't work like that. It gives you one cameo moment about the, the weights and the measures. It doesn't tell you exactly what to do every time you have a business deal. Of course it doesn't. But find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what's the righteous, what's the truthful, what's the good thing to do this time? What's the light thing to do now? Where does the light shine on this deal? And how can I be a child of light here? We're called to be lights in the workplace. I know that's tough. I I do know it's tough. And the Bible knows it's tough, and God knows it's tough, but it's a walk of faith. You know, I mean, faith is how we live, all of us, not just those of us who do full-time Christian work or lead churches or whatever. We're all walking by faith. We're all followers of Jesus. We all walk in the light, or should be walking in the light. I mean, do your colleagues at work know you are a Christian... Not because you invite them to the Alpha course or the Christmas carol service. Not because you get uppity about certain issues that come up in the news and sort of got a petition up for same-sex marriage to stop it or something like that. Not because of those things, but because of your behaviour at work and your business ethos, your ethics. Do they think, oh, right, you don't lie with them. Oh, right, they're, they're very honest. I know, and, and actually they may moan at you they may find it difficult. I know friends, this had not been a situation I was in, but friends who began to just be honest about their expenses claims and it caused chaos in the company. Because as they were honest about their expenses claims, the company realized everybody else was getting twice as much as these one or two. And it, I mean, their colleagues were not happy bunnies. Because everybody was, and so suddenly, you're caught, you know, you've got to be brave for times like that. You've got to be able to sort of try and explain it, <laughs> why you're not charging double the mileage that everybody else does. And, and so, you, you know, it takes guts, and it's walking with Jesus. But do they know, not because you're holier than thou and snooty, but they, they know they can trust you, actually, and they know you'll be honest. And even people who get grumpy when you do that sort of thing, I've just talked about, and put the things right on the expenses claim will probably be the people who come to talk to you when they're struggling with something at home. or here, Because they know you're straight as a die. They know that you're, they'll get an honest answer from you, that you are someone who's consistent. Your faith and your life work together. It's not an easy path. But all of us have got to understand as Christians that our ultimate boss is Jesus. Let's look at this verse in Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, I laugh because this is written to slaves. I mean, none of us have a situation quite as bad as that, I think, probably, I hope, in a way, although there is such thing as modern slavery. But having said that, 
this is a pretty strong language, a pretty strong challenge to all of us that whatever we do, even in a a grotty situation, we see it as working for the Lord, not for a human master. And that there's a reward for doing it as unto the Lord. It's a back back with Proverbs. God will honour it. God will reward it. It's not just about doing the right thing, gritting your teeth. God will honour it. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, wherever you work, you are serving the Lord Christ. Wow. Every morning you get up to go to work, that's what you've got to understand. I'm serving Jesus Christ today. I'm serving Jesus Christ in the way I behave to my boss. I'm serving Jesus Christ in the way I behave to the client or the customer. I'm serving Jesus Christ in the way I behave to the government or to the, you know, I am a representative of Jesus. And Jesus, I want to please you in all I do. And if we're employers, the next verse, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know you also have a master in heaven. If you are responsible for people, be honest, do the right thing, be fair. That isn't always being, being um, nice, isn't always being soft in a way, but it's doing the fair and right thing. As best you know how, you deal with everybody evenly and fairly as best you know how. And that is because you have a master in heaven who's watching over you and who's calling you to represent him and his ways of doing things. So this boils down to lots of practical things, very few of which we have time to look at, but I draw them from Scripture, and uh, I know there are principles in there. Things like this. If we say we're going to do something, we do it. The Bible says to do that. Or otherwise, don't say you're going to do it and don't, uh, if you're not going to do it. We do a full day's work for a full day's pay. These are basically principles that come through in God's word. We, on the other hand, pay a full day's pay for a full day's work. We charge a fair price and make clear what the price is and people get what they pay for. We do a thorough job. We don't take shortcuts. We don't skimp on quality. We are, if we're employing people or in charge of people, fair and just and equitable towards all who are, we are responsible for. And we pay them properly. We pay our debts as soon as we can. I don't think the Bible ignores debting, but I, you know, de- debts aren't a uh, sin, you know, but you pay them as soon as you can. And one thing you probably don't do, which is a very common business practice, is deliberately hold back on paying things as long as you possibly can to make money. Big firms do that. So, you know, they get the goods and they might be three or four months before they pay the money. Well, basically, they're getting a forced interest-free loan off the poor person who supplied them. They're ripping them off. The person who supplied them has had to buy the goods, do the work and supply it, and you wait three or four months to pay them. That means you're making them give you an interest-free loan, actually, for three or four months. If, If you have the means to pay, you pay as soon as you can. That is a biblical principle. And you can draw it out from some aspects of Proverbs. We give good value for good work and good work. Nothing shoddy or or, or short-changed. Here's another quick principle. Let's pray for those in authority over us. That, That comes out from 1 Timothy 2. It's not just about governments. Thank God for your job, but pray for those over you at work. I, I personally, when I was... Uh, 10 years of school teacher, I used to pray a lot for the school and for the boys too, some of the difficult classes. But, you know, pray about your situation. Pray about when you're being asked to do something you don't want to do. I remember 
being asked to, I mean, in a way, it wasn't a big deal, but I was teaching RS uh, as well as English and some history, mostly English, but I taught religious studies because I'd done some training on it, I was willing to do it. And uh, the curriculum I found uncomfortable. I've got to teach comparative religions. I don't mind doing them, but I, it was like, how am I going to do this? Now, I know the world's changed an awful lot. From, this is a long time ago. Oh, I, I, I was a teacher from 1973 to 1983. Half the room probably wasn't alive when I stopped teaching. So, um, but, so I do understand things have changed, but I had to tussle with how am I going to do that? I had a fairly free hand within reason, actually. And I remember praying a lot about it, and God just gave me what I felt was a real help for me at that time. It wasn't exam stuff. I taught O-level. That was different. But this was um, just general. And, and, and I, I felt God said, well, look at it differently. I, I mean, I say there was freedom. And, and so I compared different, like I compared Muhammad and Jesus and Buddha. So, and then I'd compare what they taught about the human, in, human problem predicament, what they taught as the answers to that predicament, what they taught about heaven, what they taught about hell, what they, talked about, ta- what they taught about the afterlife. So I looked at it thematically, okay? Now, I, I had a freedom to do that. But in doing that, it was amazing how well the gospel comes out. I mean, without even trying, to be honest. I mean, obviously I was biased because I was a Christian. But do you know what I mean? I wasn't being deliberately negative about other things. But if you compare Jesus to Muhammad, it doesn't take you long to work out which one's best. And, <laughs> I, I, and I, I'm on a serious. I think there's some things need to be said. I'm serious. I mean, he, he, he had a load of people executed, Muhammad. He had people beheaded right, left, and said, had some poetic woman, woman poet who criticized him, had her executed. It's a very different person to Jesus. And we need to know that because there are differences. I'm sorry, there are. And Jesus is very special and very unusual. It's not just one of many. Oh, you could follow here as one of that one. And actually, it stands out when you look at it. Now, obviously, I'm not going to give you, I'm almost tempted to give you a lesson in RS, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Probably get me into trouble these days. But to be honest with you, I was praying for wisdom. That's where I was (laughs) in my talk. And I'm suggesting that in your day and your challenges and your generation, you've got to do the same. You've got to say, God, help me to know what the answer is here. So pray a lot about it. See, if you just go with the flow, you just do what everyone's doing, you don't necessarily end up learning this stuff. (laughs) You don't necessarily end up how to battle through in prayer and faith. So apply God's kingdom principles at work. Very simple little list of things. You can draw them from several places. Luke 16 will be one place, verses 10 to 12. We're not going to look at it. Be faithful in the little things, and God will entrust you with more. That is a principle of Scripture. If you're faithful with the little things, God promises to entrust you with more. If you handle other people's money wisely, God will entrust you with your own. That is honestly in the Bible. So if you are trustworthy with other people's money, God will be able to give you more yourself. Treat other people's property with the care as though it was your own, and you'll have more of your own. Similar principle. And I want to finally say, being honest and trustworthy in the workplace and business and the world does not mean being a doormat. Never has done. And our example is Jesus. Jesus was loving Jesus was patient, and he was truth itself. But he was also courageous and, where necessary, confrontational, particularly where there was sin and hypocrisy and exploitation amongst those in power over weaker people, i.e. the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus 
didn't mince his words with those. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go in and call people whited sepulchres or brood of vipers. You might lose your job or something. And we, we don't live in such a robust age today. You have to talk nicely in modern Britain. But, but actually, actually, there is a principle here that's right. That you, you, speak, you speak for righteousness and justice for yourself and for others. And yes, you should be loving and patient and kind and faithful. And your life has got to be consistent. Because if you stick your neck out and say something and it's inconsistent, I say, well, you do that. You immediately undermine your position, of course. So, but, but, but Jesus was a superb example. Obviously, they couldn't find any fault in him. And he was able to speak clearly into situations, which I believe is what we as Christians can do. And in all of these ways, we are to be salt and light. So we're to be different. And I would hope and pray that Christian employees are the best people to employ. And nobody wants to lose them. Christian employers are the best people to work for. Nobody wants to go anywhere else or move away. And a Christian business may not be able to produce the very best in its field, but it ought to be the best value and the most reliable. So, you know, you might, might not be able to quite reach the heights of what others in your business can do, but people know they get a very good deal from you. It's honest, they know what they're going to get, and it's reliable. And that is honestly how it should be. And that is a huge part of our testimony, brothers and sisters. It's a huge part of our witness to the world. Even people will say, why do you do that? Why, do you, why are you so careful to be fair and honest? Well, you can talk about Jesus.